0: Hi everyone. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the passing of comics and animation legend Darwin Cook, who lost his battle with cancer just yesterday, as we record this. We are huge fans of his new frontier in particular, where he tackled the early days of the pre-JLA set in the actual time they were published. To say he will be missed is an understatement. He effortlessly took the most classic and primal versions of the characters and made them seem fresh and vital again. We need more comic creators like that, not less. Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post?
1: Sure, why not?
0: Then by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you... Supermates. Supermates! You may podcast with the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of Supermates, the husband and wife geek Cast. I'm Chris. I'm Cindy. And today we are proud to be part of the month-wide mega-podcast crossover, JL May, covering JLA year one by Mark Wade, Brian Augustine, Barry Kitson, and Michael Baer. Woohoo! Uh, before listening to this episode, you may want to check out the May episode's of the following podcast who participated in this crossover. That would be the Fire and Water podcast, the Power of Fish Nets, both of which are on the network we're on obviously, the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Waiting for Doom and the Lantern Cast. Now, I haven't had a chance to listen to the Lantern Cast episode yet uh, as we record this since this is the weekend and I listen to podcasts while I'm at work. But please make sure you listen to the entire Waiting for Doom episode. If you don't, you'll be denying yourselves the most culturally insensitive Australian impersonation since Jim Carrey tried it in Dumb and Dumber. That's a
2: lovely accent you have. New Jersey? Austria. Austria? (laughs) Well then, good day, mate. (laughs) Let's put another shrimp on the barbie.
0: And it comes from our pal, the irredeemable Shag. So there you go. (laughs) You can connect Shag to Dumb and Dumber how you wish.
1: Oh! I didn't know he was gonna say that, Shag.
0: I'm sorry. But just in case you have listened to those episodes and you know you've been reading a lot of other comics and a lot of other comics are coming in and out of your brain, we will do a brief recap of JLA Year One, one through eight. Because
1: Chris's version of brief, by the way,
0: yeah. Because basically, because I my anal retentive nature will not let me talk about these things without having referenced them somewhere else so
1: uh,
0: so here we go
1: Welcome to my
3: life Previously on Justice League
0: Following their first team up battling invaders from the planet Apollax Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Black Canary and Martian Manhunter form the Justice League of America a scientifically advanced group known as Locus has designs on the remaining Apalexians and begins to experiment on their bodies preparing for some apocalypse like event the fledgling league is approached by a man named Simon Carr, representing a wealthy benefactor who wishes to support the team financially. Carr sets the league up in a mountain headquarters, and his nephew, Snapper, serves as their IT guy.
1: While the league continues to battle Locus’s Machiavellian schemes in their private lives, they each meet a new friend they can open up to. They share all but their deepest of secrets with their new confidants. While installing surveillance equipment in the secret sanctuary, Snapper spies an intruder in the Martian Manhunter's chambers. He presents his recordings to Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, and Canary, who are shocked to see each of their new friends on the footage. Shock turns to anger when they discover their friends were really their teammate, John Jones himself, using his shape-shifting abilities to spy on them. The four burst into his room and confront John, only to find he has detailed files on all of Earth's super-powered heroes, The others jump to the conclusion that John may be a remaining apalaxian and he is forced to flee.
0: A lone locust agent fearing the group's plans for world destruction makes his way to the sanctuary hoping to warn the JLA in time he is shot dead by none other than Simon Carr. Dun
3: dun dun! (laughs) We'll return with more Justice League. It was a golden age. Our Martian civilization was at the height of its peace and prosperity. White Martians came from beneath the planet's surface, bringing
2: fire from the planet's guts, and they burned us all. I lost my family. came to Earth when my civilization was destroyed. Detective John Jones is what you might call my human alter ego. I'm
3: not the only thing from outer space that's come, but right now I'm the only thing that can stop alien
2: invasion. My name is John Jones, also known as the Martian Manhunter. I'm Mars' sole survivor. There's a reason for that. I will defend
3: Earth. The head of Yabaloo, podcast available to iTunes, ShoutEngine, and
2: the Internet Archive. Hi, I'm Nicholas Prom, the host of Comic Reflections, a podcast devoted to Silver and Bronze Age comics. Join me and my spunky sidekicks, Jeff Barnhart, the crusty curmudgeon from Dogpatch, USA, and Spencer Valdez, podcasting's very own Apache Chief, as we discuss the grooviest comic books of yesteryear. You'll find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at comicreflections.wordpress.com. What are you waiting for? Tune in, turn on, and kick ass! My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books, I have ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic, comic books. books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby i prefer to look at it as what it truly is a crippling addiction that i may never recover from back in 2007 i started a podcast called views Views from the long box to deal with this borderline personality disorder every week or so i pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them and then well i i talk about them it's kind of what a podcast is sometimes i'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views Views from the the Longbox. A podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide. Every Tuesday or so at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com We now return to Justice League.
0: Okay, so now on to the issue that we're going to cover in this episode, which is JLA year one, number nine, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. uh, It was dated September 1998. Well, that's actually on the cover. The part that Mike gave us is it was on sale July 8th, 1998. So there you go. This is a very green cover, even a green logo. uh, And it shows Aquaman and Green Lantern being crushed by some monstrous looking sea life. They appear to be in the very depths of the ocean. Immediately it makes one wonder, hey, you know, why aren't they listening to Aquaman, their fish? The cover copy reads, Under Pressure, although that's not the name of the story title, that is, Change the World. The story is by Mark Wade, Brian Augustine, and Barry Kitson, Storytellers, Michael Bear Inker, Ken Lopez, Letterer, Pat Garrahee, Colorist, Heroic Age, Separations, and Peter Tomasi, Editor.
1: In his fitful sleep, Simon Carr dreams. In his dream, he hears an alien voice. The voice recounts how he directed the Apalaxian combatants to Earth and then followed. While the others were defeated by the Justice League, his body was damaged. He lay on the ocean floor until Locust arrived. They helped him find a new body, Simon Carr.
0: Carr wakes up screaming. It was only a dream, but one he's had for the past four months.
1: In the secret sanctuary, Flash sits at an otherwise empty meeting table. Responding to the sound of snapping, he learns he's not alone. Snapper is on monitor duty and discovers something that requires the JLA's attention, despite their morale being at an all-time low due to John's betrayal. Flash activates his signal device, and Green Lantern, Black Canary, and Aquaman respond. In his home in Middletown, Colorado, John Jones simply ponders in a darkened room.
0: Arriving at their HQ, the team first discusses Jean's betrayal once more. GL has been unable to find him after searching high and low. Canary comments that he has probably told Locus all he knows about them. She is now afraid to sleep at night.
1: Turning their attention to the disasters at hand, the Leaguers discover three global catastrophes are now threatening the Earth. The North Polar Ice Cap is rapidly melting. A seismic disturbance is rocking the Marina Trench and a low-level atmospheric disturbance is detected in California's Redwood Forest. There seems to be a common energy signature between them, and it doesn't take much to connect these to Locust and their plans for Armageddon. Green Lantern orders that the heroes split into teams to tackle the two immediate threats. As they depart, Snapper seems to notice someone behind him, but he does not fully detect the invisible presence of the Martian Manhunter.
0: As Flash and Black Canary head north to investigate, their discussion turns a bit awkward when the Scarlet Speedster admits he has a fiance. While Canary knew of his girlfriend, she had no idea her potential romantic interest liked it so much he put a ring on it. As their discussion heats up, so does the air, and the duo discover a giant microwave emitter is to blame for the melting ice. Guarding said device is a giant fire creature, created by using Appalachian DNA and housing the mind of a locust agent.
1: Ignoring the flaming creature, Flash deduces that if he and Canary combine their speed and sonic vibrations, they can counter the microwave frequencies and approach the emitter without burning. His plan works and the two make quick work of the contraption. They leave the flaming beast behind and head for California.
0: Elsewhere, two figures fly away from a ruined temple. Amid the debris and invaluable treasures rest a lone sarcophagus. Out of that coffin rises Vandal Savage determined to thwart the plans of his attackers, his former allies, and Locust,
1: Aquaman and Green Lantern travel to the Disturbance in the Marina Trench. The Sea King asks the Emerald Gladiator why he's always giving orders. When Green Lantern answers, because I'm the leader, the normally stoic Aquaman bursts into laughter. Much to Green Lantern's chagrin, he's informed that Flash is a leader. He then warns the ego-bruised Lantern to reinforce his bathysphere ring construct as they are reaching maximum pressure at the ocean's deepest point.
0: They soon discover a large drilling machine, the cause of the seismic disturbances. GL's energy light attracts the attention of yet another locust created and controlled monster. GL asks Aquaman to summon an octopus to help him but there are no large big fish at this great depth. But he does have a plan. He commands the small fish to surround Green Lantern and asks for his trust despite their recent setbacks as a team.
1: As the giant creature approaches, it spots Green Lantern flying upward toward the machine. The monster strikes at its prey, and its giant claw passes right through, destroying the machine he sought to defend. Green Lantern heads back to the large cluster of fish, and we see it was actually just the power ring and a hard light construct created to look like Green Lantern. Aquaman surmised the fish, which are born to survive the area's great depths, would protect Green Lantern long enough for him to send his ring away to distract the monster. Like Flash and Canary, the heroes head for California.
0: Back at the Secret Sanctuary, Snapper leaves an urgent message on his computer for the JLA. He writes of how his Uncle Simon had called him, on the edge and babbling about alien possession. Before Snapper can finish his missive, Simon sneaks up behind him and, fulfilling the wish of nearly every comic fan since 1960, slams Snapper's face into the monitor, knocking him unconscious and blooding him up good.
2: (laughs)
1: The 4 JLAers converge in the Redwood Forest. They compare notes and deduce that Locus has engineered these new bodies to survive the upcoming cataclysm of their own design. Aquaman spots the machine causing the atmospheric disturbance and John Jones nearby it. His angry teammates suspect the worst and attack their former friend, ignoring the defeated monster Locus agent lying nearby. The Flash uses his super-speed friction to create a wall of fire around the Martian, while Green Lantern knocks him down with his ring. Aquaman pummels him with his fist, and Black Canary blasts him with her canary cry. All the while, John pleads with them to stop the fire, but they refuse to listen.
0: Suddenly, the flames ignite upward in a huge explosion. The Green Lantern encases everyone in a power ring bubble as John explains that he was attempting to shut down the machine safely. The machine was pumping out methane gas. The League stares in horror at the burning redwood forest beneath them. To the be Continued. Uh, The cover on this issue is misleading, but, you know, most comic covers are Are, kind of misleading. yeah. yeah. Because the scene kind of occurs in the issue, but Aquaman is never in danger, and Green Lantern is only slightly freaked by the fish. But here, like, there's like an eel wrapped around Green Lantern's arm and his neck, and I mean, these fish are like, you know, I mean, I know the fish that are at the depths of the ocean are scary looking anyway, but these are like... Really, really creepy looking. So. Horror movie real. Yeah, and Aquaman's like, you know, screaming and they, they're all over him. That doesn't happen. But, you know, comics, you know, so. Uh, so now we get the dirt on Simon Carr. And, of course, he's not dreaming because he killed that guy last issue. Right. So, you know, obviously this is, you know, this is definitely paying off something that has been building throughout the series, especially since last issue. You know, we come in and you see Flash sitting alone at the meeting table and that really hammers home how far the team has fallen since the beginning of this series. And back in the 60s when Superman and Batman weren't allowed to participate in the early JLA issues much, Flash was the team's MVP because he was the guy that started the Silver Age, you know. Uh, He was the most, no doubt the most popular character on the team outside of Superman and maybe Batman. He probably was more popular than Batman at, at the that time.
1: point. At yeah. that point,
0: yeah, before the new look and the TV show, yeah. So he was the heart of DC Silver Age. So it's even more fitting that it's him that's you know mm-hmm. sitting there. One thing that that I have always bothered it's always bothered me about this series, and I know this series, it's a little minor thing, but this series was green lit as you know, because the Grant Morrison Howard Porter JLA was so big, the mm-hmm. return of the Magnificent Seven. Well, on their meeting table in this series is that current JLA series logo. Why would they have that on the table? You true, know, true. I'd rather it have been the old series logo, you know, or or even this logo, which is slightly different than it just I know. It's a nitpicky thing, but it just bothers me. Of course. Yes. <laughs> Flash says when they're talking, he's talking to Snapper about you know what Jean's betrayal has done to him, he says Canary is cynical as it is, and and that as for Aquaman, I keep expecting him to swim off in disgust. Well, you know, yeah, I mean you can kind of see that. I mean the team they haven't jailed completely,
1: no, yeah,
0: no. you know, which and the Doom Patrol issues that the Waiting for Doom guys covered, they you know even though the Doom Patrol the public flocked to the JLA. The Doom Patrol knew how to act as a team, you know. They're right. they're learning how. Because they're all new at superheroics period and they're definitely new at working together. together. Yeah.
1: Each playing on everybody's strengths and, you know, helping with their weaknesses, showing up their weaknesses
0: and stuff. Right, right. Uh, we get to see the JLA signal devices you know, where they're at in their costumes. Now, in the old comic books, even though Mike Sikowski drew every issue of JLA for like the first 60 issues, plus the Brave and the Bold tryouts, they never seemed to draw where the signal device was in the same place twice, or very seldom. Uh, but here you see that GLs is in his ring, Black Canaries is in her choker, Aquaman is in his belt buckle, and Flash is in his belt, like at the front of his belt. We don't see where Jean's is, but maybe he just tunes into it telepathically. I don't know. It's probably in his belt buckle, but still. That, that always just kind of, when I, you read old JLA stories, it's like, okay, now it's in their chest symbol. No, now it's in their belt buckle. Okay, now it's in flashes, the wings on his ears, on his, on his mask. That's like, okay. We see Hal and yet another flightless trainer with the unfortunately named Pi, uh, Tom Kalkamu at Ferris Aircraft. Dinah is at her floor shop, and Aquaman is, of course, just swimming with the fishes because he didn't have a secret identity. So what did you think about the whole Flash-Black-Canary relationship in this series?
1: Uh, well, I read, you know, I reread the rest of the series, and it's kind of interesting, my take on it, and I'll talk about that. It's more, she fell for the, the good guy, you mm, know? Right, right, You know, here's here's a good, clean-cut guy. Yeah. And considering she probably just found out about what her mother had done. Yeah. She wanted the good guy, but then she finds out, oh, wait, he's taken. But apparently there was, it wasn't a one-sided attraction there.
0: Oh, no, no. I mean, there there was definitely an attraction between the two. And I think this series, you know, I don't think that when, I think they have, Iris and Barry have gotten engaged as the series has progressed. Like, because their adventures in the actual comics of the time are still happening, you know, because mm-hmm. they've even shown some of the Justice League adventures that have happened in flashback, like just a panel or two. Right, right, in between the In between the scenes in this series. So between the time that him and Canary started flirting, him and Iris have went from dating to engaged. You know, the, the, there was a previous issue uh, where she comes in after she finds out, which I feel kind of weird talking about that because... It's going to, it's it's if you haven't read Starman, right. it's going to blow a a major plot point that comes up in Starman, yes. in which we're covering Starman on our series, in case you didn't know if this is your first episode of Supermates, which if it is, welcome, by the way. But, uh, you know, we're covering the Starman series by James Robinson Tony Harris from start to finish, and there's definitely something that comes up
2: that's yes. connected
0: to Starman. The other guys have already mentioned it in the crossover, so we might as well say it. Black Canary Dinah here, young Dinah, finds out from her mother that her and Ted Knight, the original Starman, had an affair. Yes. And she like immediately comes into Justice League headquarters and says, Are any of you guys married? I want to know right now, you know?
2: <laughs> and
0: and uh and they're all like, Uh uh and and Jean's like, I'm I'm married or I was married. You yeah. know, and then he tells about his family. But You know, I mean, she wants to know right away she's not going to do what her mom did. Yeah. You know, and which I thought was, I mean, that was really, that was a really cool thing for Wade and Augustine to do. They ran with what Robinson had set up and just had set up because he had just established it as this came out. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting, you know, it's showing that, and to Flash, it kind of, it showed that he idolized the JSA, And it showed that, and of course, Canary did too, but she knew them more as people. Right. But to both of them, it's shown that they're just human, you know, and they have human foibles and make mistakes, and obviously, and things. So, but, uh, you know, it's interesting because there had never been any hint of an attraction between Flash and Black Canary before because he was married to Iris when Black Canary actually joined the Justice League pre crisis. Mm -hmm. And of course, she was originally the Earth 2 Black Canary
1: makes
0: my head hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, she started up a relationship with Green Arrow, and she was in that relationship with Green Arrow after Iris had, quote-unquote, died in the late 70s.
1: Even though she really went to the future, and blah, 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 right, where she was really from. And blah, blah. Yeah,
0: right. The fact that you know that, though, makes me love you that much more. <laughs> but, Flat, now, Flash did... Have an almost romance with Zatanna in that area, or Zatanna, we never can't decide how want to pronounce it here. But she wasn't in her fish nets then, so you can't, there's no correlation. Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> I don't know.
1: You like fish nets pretty good.
0: Hush. <laughs> just saying. You know, it seems kind of convenient that the Locust Appalaxian creatures don't go off and wreck anything when the leaguers just leave them standing. I right. thought that was a little just. Yeah, like, they're,
3: they're like.
1: Now, we've defeated you. You stay here and be a good boy.
0: Yeah, right. You know, and I'm right.
1: like, wait a minute.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, and of course, insert your whole polar ice cap melting non-funny joke about climate change here. We won't get into that. I liked what the, how the flash came up with, you know, how, well, let's use our vibrational powers because we can't get near it. I thought that was cool, but the panels that show it are really quick. It's just little small panels. It's not a big kapow moment.
1: No, and I mean, you have to look and see what it what is. Cause to me, the sound lines, or you know, however yeah. you want to say, they weren't clearly apparent.
0: What yeah, they were doing, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't illustrate Black Canary's Canary Cry, all that. You know, like well, we didn't get the rings. I mean, it kind of looks like she's just mad and just yelling at somebody right there, right? Not like she's blasting,
1: especially considering their conversation up to that point. Yeah, because like
0: she could just be like yelling. Yeah, it looks like she's like because you see, him, them running toward it. He's carrying her, and then you see the flash, like like you know mm-hmm. vibrating and, and and smashing it with his foot and and it kind of looks like there's maybe some waves coming out of her head but the real faint I think it's a case where they're starting to use some computer effects mm-hmm. and they just haven't got a handle on it yet because this is early for that you know yeah so I think you know it just it didn't it didn't quite come across in the art if you had if you weren't reading what the dialogue said then you wouldn't be able to tell
1: what was going, what on. Was going yeah. on exactly also, just to say, whatever she is holding that blonde wig on with needs to be made worldwide available. <laughs> because, you know, think about it. She's running in the Flash's arms. It's going whoosh, you know. Yeah. yeah. How's that thing staying on there?
0: It's his aura that, that surrounds him. He's extending it to around uh, her. But okay. That's my no prize answer there. So, yeah. Yeah,
2: definitely no prize. For yeah, no prize.
0: <laughs> 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 now, when we switch scenes, we get we see these two flying figures flying away from this ruined temple or something, a ruined edifice of some kind. And that's where Vandal Savage is, you know, crawls out of the sarcophagus because you just can't get enough Vandal Savage because DC just will not let us just like, like, you know, I don't have anything really against Vandal Savage, but I'm kind of sick of the guy. <laughs> You know, I mean, I liked him on Justice League animated, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't really care for the guy on Legends <laughs> of Tomorrow much, and uh, you know, and it just it's like if it ain't Dark Side, you know, for a cosmic thing, it's Vandal Savage, and yeah. you know, it's like, oh yeah, it's Vandal Savage. He's lived for millions of thousands of years, blah blah blah. You know, so. I
1: mean, you'd think, I mean, he's been going at this for fifty some thousand years. Eventually, you'd think he'd get it right.
0: <laughs> right. Right. But anyway, when they, the two figures that are flying away from his temple, one of them's a creature that I don't think we ever see again in the series, and it's kind of like a bat-like looking thing that I'm supposing some kind of apoplexian, right. although we never saw an apoplexian that looked like that, right. which is weird, but it almost looks like the, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, there was a series that Roy Thomas did in the late 80s called The Young All-Stars, which was a spinoff of All-Star Squadron, mm-hmm. and he basically created a group of characters to fill the the void in um the nineteen forties that was left when they got rid of the Earth Two Superman Batman. Well there was a character called the Flying Fox, which was semi their kind of semi their Batman. Oh,
1: gotcha. That
0: looks like him, which was confusing to me. I'm like, What's a flying fox doing it? Oh. It's not, but anyway. And we got, you know, they like to pick on Flying Fox and the young all stars on on Who's who somewhat, so you know. There you go. Yeah, early on in the series, Green Lantern poked what he deemed good-natured fun at Aquaman. He did this whole thing where Aquaman was trying to help in the headquarters and put in a light bulb. And he's like, oh, well, you need a bulb wrench for that. And so Aquaman went off, okay, I'm going to go look for a bulb wrench. Because this version of Aquaman was the one that was barely had interaction with humans. Yeah. He was basically the Tarzan version of Aquaman where he was raised by dolphins, yeah. which is Kind of stupid, but <laughs> I prefer the you know son of the lighthouse keeper and the one for Atlantis version of Aquaman. But but anyway, so Aquaman finds out there's no such thing as a bull branch, and he just blurts, He gets mad in the middle of they're getting ready to have this. Actually, I think Green Lantern's going to take his mask off and tell him he's Hal Jordan. They're having like a chummy conversation, and Aquaman's like bull branch. You know, he's like ticked off and you know basically humiliated and yeah. you know. He, so it's 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 very fitting that you know. He just totally destroys Green Lantern's ego when he's like, "You're not the leader. <laughs> Flash is the leader." <laughs> and Aquaman's been like a real stoic, grumpy puss through this whole series, and he just like busts out laughing at him, you know. <laughs> Which just he has like a belly laugh. So I thought it was funny. It's interesting in these books that, like this series, that examine the Silver Age characters, especially at the time of the Silver Age stories how they developed their character because really DC characters were they all had the same personality back then
1: right much. right they
0: were all that upst- upstanding paragon of virtue type mm-hmm. person you know so you know green lantern was you know flash flash basically kept that personality right cuz he was the original silver age guy green lantern became the hot-headed jet jockey you know, kind of, fearless, arrogant, fearless, arrogant, kind of womanizer, you know, type kind of, kind of, yeah, you know, so, but now there were hints that, that Green Lantern was a little arrogant in the silver age, but they just, you know, expanded upon it. But I think, I think it's always interesting to see that. Uh, I think it's nice touch that Green Lantern, who has been out in the depths of space is a bit weirded out by the creatures at the ocean's bottom, which Which is is,
1: just as alien in and of itself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I thought that was kind of neat. I do like that Aquaman has a plan. It would be easy to have Green Lantern save the day,
1: but you're in literally his realm, right? You know, you're in Aquaman's realm. So
0: yeah, uh, you know, it's, it, his ring's actually a hindrance because mm-hmm. of its glow, and this plan is very Gardner Fox-like. You know, I don't, I don't know, you know how, I, you know, I'm, I'm a supposing Green Lantern still had. Some amount of his energy bubble over him so he could breathe. Right. But he, you know, he, he used the fish basically to keep the pressure,
3: mm-hmm. the
0: depths of the pressure off of him. So, what I knowing what I know of Mark Wade, I bet he put that page of Snapper getting his face bashed in as a cathartic moment for all Silver Age DC fans. Uh, DC was constantly besieged by letter writers who wanted the JLA comic to drop Snapper he had been created via an editorial edict by DC executive Whitney Ellsworth, who had also been a producer on the Superman TV series. Ellsworth demanded a teen character be put in the JLA comic, and so they gave us a character that was like the then popular but now practically forgotten Ed Kooky Burns from 77 Sunset Strip, which was a TV series in the late 50s, early 60s. Oh, is
1: that the... Cookie, cookie, give me your cone.
0: Yeah, that, yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay,
1: because my mother used to sing that all the time. Yeah, my
0: mom did too, yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Remember in Greece when they're at the dance at the school, yeah. the, the 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 host that comes that the one girl's flirting with and he's oh. flirting with her. That's him. That's that's Ed Burns. Oh, yeah, so okay. people might know him from that too. Oh, okay,
1: okay, but
0: he played this character called Kooky, who was pretty much. I mean, they just basically ripped Snapper Car straight from him. He's had all that stu. Daddy O, and you know, I don't know how much he snapped his fingers, but he.
1: I can't help it. Whenever I see Snapper Car, I think about that letter you wrote. To Who's Who back in the '90s.
0: Oh yeah, and, it, and you leafies. wrote
1: it as a Snapper Car.
0: Oh yeah, I did, which was which was weird because I wrote that letter and that was to Michael Urey.
1: Oh okay, who was
0: who's now the editor of back issue, and I've written several articles with him, with back, for
1: H, back yeah. issue, yeah.
0: So yeah, yeah, I forgot, I, forgot about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, but every time I see Snapper Car, I automatically think of that letter.
0: Yeah. So, but um, now the '77 Sunset Strip, the star of that was actually Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Who later went on to be Alfred on Batman: The Animated Series. Oh, okay. So there's a little bit of connection there. But that'd be like if, like, okay, there's a new Justice League comic coming out, or the, there's a new Super Team book we're doing. I want you to create a character just like Sheldon Cooper and put him in it, and yeah. you know, and just just stick him in the middle of these superheroes. I want Sheldon to be in the JLA headquarters every issue, you know, and and the fans would be like screaming bloody murder Mama. on how yeah. they got the internet, you know. And in a few years from now, I mean, I'm sure Big Bang's been on long enough, it's going to be in reruns forever, but still, people will be like, at some point, they'll be like, why is this character in this book? I mean, I know they weren't thinking about that in the... Right. In the 60s, that anybody would even care 50 years later, but still, it's it's just really weird, and neither and Gardner Fox, Julius Schwartz, or Mike Sikowski wanted him in there. That was from upstairs. Yeah. So... So that was Mark Wade give, giving everybody a bit of <laughs> a bit of what they wanted. I think this series is full of the team making rookie mistakes, but none were so bad as the four of the heroes attacking Jean without even giving him a chance to speak, and they're pretty brutal about it. It's really ugly.
1: Oh, I mean, they go after him like
0: I mean, it's like they set you know like the fire and they just beat the tar out of him.
1: I mean, it's just it's one of those things you think about. Okay, we've had. All of this, where we have had each other's backs and everything else, they didn't give him a chance to explain or anything. They're just like, "Nope, we don't like him anymore. He did one thing. let's find you know we don't care what his reasons were or anything else
0: well, and they don't come out and say it so much, but I mean, I think there's there's definitely i mean obviously Jean shouldn't have been keeping
1: no no do, he shouldn't that. have done
0: what he did, but they also never let him explain it and I think it's you know it's it, it, like I said they don't beat you over the head with it but because John is alien because he looks different it's easier for them to turn on him than it is them to turn on the other you know they well they, they
1: turned on Batman on JLA they turned on Batman in the one storyline because Batman did the same thing about yeah in the written by
0: it, Mark Wade <laughs> yeah I mean you know yeah it's,
1: it's the same storyline just with. A different character, yeah, and, and, and you know, it was on Bruce Timm's animated series with JLA. And it was on in the yeah. comics
2: too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, you know they've they've really the, the Mark Wade, you know, basically ripped himself off because yeah. he, him and Brian Augustine developed it here, and then he did it again. Most people remember the JLA thing. They did it in the the well, the animated movie that uh, JLA Doom.
1: Okay, well, what, i what just remember. Did. yeah,
0: they did, but they was basically adapted it and they. And they swapped out in that in the comic it was Rachel Gould who got a hold of the files. Okay. Oh, in the movie it was Vandal Savage. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Vandal Savage. Right. And I don't, like, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike the character Vandal Savage. I just think he's overused. I just think they could mix it up and not use him and use somebody else sometimes. And they just like, oh, use Vandal Savage. You know, he's like mm-hmm. the utility bad guy or something. I don't know, but. You know, way to go, JLA. You set the freaking... Not only did you beat up your teammate, now you've set the freaking Redwood Forest on fire. Fire. And Smokey the Bear is pissed. (laughs) This is the team at their lowest point. Uh, They've had trust issues throughout the series, but now the trust is completely shattered. They honestly believe John is working with Locust, and he may even be an Appalachian. And, uh, you know, you can't blame them, but we know John actually... You can't blame them for being suspicious, but the level to which they go is kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and But this is them young. It's, you know, it's, like I said, a rookie mistake. We know that John eventually becomes the backbone of the Justice League. Kind
1: of makes you wonder why he stuck around.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we know that he becomes the backbone of the Justice League throughout its many incarnations, but these characters don't. So it. We've got, you know, we've got hindsight, you know, and foresight from this point, but they don't. So, you know, Green Lantern probably just, and I don't know, it's according to how they, you know, reworked the post-crisis version. But Green Lantern, at first, you know, he met Abin Sur, got the ring, so he met an alien when he got the ring. But, you know, he didn't, he, when he first met the Guardians in the Green Lantern Corps, they wiped his mind the first several times so he wouldn't remember it until he was ready to remember it. So, you know, you don't know how much of the alien races he's encountered yet and worked with yet. Flash, Black Canary, and Aquaman haven't worked with aliens. They don't know Superman that well. You know, you're dumping... You're dumping... I wouldn't say Aquaman's normal, but you're dumping... Semi-normal people into a into a strange new world. Right. It's all strange and new to them, right? Because they haven't. It's been... a
1: strange new world. Yes, I'm it sorry is. I had to say it. Or a brave new world.
0: It's a brave new world. Yes, this is an exciting issue that moves along quickly, but not too quickly. I still felt like I read something substantial, unlike many modern comics. Right. And in fact, I read, I read the series up through this issue and. I just kept reading it. I just, you yeah. know, I just, I just read along through it again. And I, I've had these since they come out, and I've always enjoyed this series. So when the guys said they were going to do this, I'm like, oh heck yeah, we're in, you know. And I know you had read it before years ago. So I'm a fan of Barry Kitson's art, and it's great throughout the series. My only minor quibbles, and this is something that the other guys brought up on other shows. Uh, Black Canary's anatomy is a bit dubious at times. Uh, you know, it's just, just like, she doesn't seem to have any internal organs in a few places. <laughs> it's like her, th- her waist is just a tad bit too thin, and her legs are just a little too long. But, I mean, it's it's really solid, classic superhero I'm stuff. I'm waiting
1: for my smacking point here.
0: Well, no, I'm not. Uh, not okay. I, <laughs> I, I You know, I'm, I mean, I think, you know, he draws a nice black canary. I'm not going to say anything about, you know, he does. But there's just a few times where it's like, yeah, her legs shouldn't be that long, and I think part of it too is I just uh, I was on Ryan, when Ryan Daly did Secret of Origins issue number thirty two on the Secret Origins podcast. Um, I was one of the people that that was on there, and actually Rob was on there, and and uh, several people that are involved in the crossover were were on that show before we even knew there was going to be one. Right. And Eric Schaefer, who drew that, drew that, drew that story in a very Natural, more like real people type style, illustrative style, and so Black Canary was very, she was very, very attractive, but she looked like a real person, right? You know, this is more comic booky, you know, but it's still great. I, I really like it. In fact, the uh, Barry Kitson was drawing either around this time or shortly before this time. He was actually drawing Batman, Shadow of the Bat, and I really liked his Batman and how he handled that part of the DCU. Now, like I said, I bought this series off the stands and I was sad when it ended, I was kinda hoping maybe they'd do a sequel or maybe even do an ongoing series. Yeah. But they didn't we didn't get that, but we did get the Flash and Green Lantern and the Brave and the Bold series, which is also great, but I wanted the whole team. But that series is cool because it like it's them at the beginning of the Silver Age and then and then at one point, you know, and then there's another issue where like Green Lantern meets Kid Flash and then there's one where Flash has to deal with Greenlanders now off you know being a hippie with Green Arrow traveling the country, right, and you know what happened to my buddy now he's like off with this dirty hippie you know basically <laughs> so it's 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 actually it's actually a really good series. I like to take a moment to recognize Brian Augustine, the guy is horribly overlooked on just about everything he did because many times he was paired with his pal Mark Wade, who of course is one of comic superstar writers but Augustine was Wade's editor on The Flash when he first came on, and he contributed to the plotting of that series as editor, including the famous Return of Barry Allen arc, and then all the establishment of the Speed Force, and a lot of the stuff they're mining for The Flash TV show. Um, He stepped down as editor and actually became co-writer with Mark Wade on that series. So the Wade run on Flash is really the Wade-Augustine run, plus the guy wrote Gotham by Gaslight in Master of the Future, And Mark Wade was the editor for him there, but so, you know, everybody just always says, "Oh, Mark Wade, Flash, Mark Wade, this, Mark." And and I mean, Mark Wade's done plenty without him, right? But they worked together a lot back then, especially on the Flash, and that's the thing that really made Mark Wade was the Flash run, and he was part of it, you know, whether he was officially co-writer or just co-plotter as editor, he was there. So I just wanted to. You know, a lot of times he, in, you know, people say, like, the Wade Kitson JLA year one, they'll just leave him out altogether. So, I just wanted to put that out there for him. So, from here, the Jail May crossover continues with Frank over at the Idlehead Head of Diablo, and then on to Comic Reflections, before wrapping up at Views from the Long Box with Michael Bailey. So go. Go now. Get those a off, You know, get those a podcast! If this is your first episode of Supermates, again, thanks for dropping by please feel free to browse around. Uh, our next episode will be a return to Opal City for the next chapter in our Starman Chronicles series covering the entire run of the James Robinson-Tony Harris classic. Now, there may be an additional mini-episode out before the end of this month. Depen- just yeah. Depending on how things go, but...
1: Yeah, because you know we got two kids and it's right at the end of school, so bear with
0: us. Yeah, yeah, which oh is oh my golly, which is why normally would have had an episode in before this one, in between right. the last episode and this one, but life happened, so that's why this is our first episode in May. <laughs> but you know, we've we've done pretty good, so we we've, yes. we've done pretty well of keeping a regular schedule. So you know, we have to take a little breather every once in a while. Life happens, you know, so. But we want to thank, uh, I want to thank uh, Ange and the Waiting for Doom guys for kind of kicking off this whole idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really a lot of fun and we're, we, uh, I've enjoyed listening to them myself and we were proud to participate in it. Uh, so, you know, and I think, and I, I think I saw where a new printing of this, uh, the, either trade paperback or hardcover, I can't remember what it was, is is coming out.
2: Oh,
1: okay.
0: So uh, I think you've got, you've got a copy at the library of this, don't you? yeah yeah. i think you do yeah yeah so i mean so yeah i mean i'm sure if you haven't read this or you haven't read it in a long time it's out there to get i i don't know if i think it's out even digitally it's it's out there on comiXology so definitely check it out it's definitely worth the read you can't really go wrong with it so well that will do it for us and uh we'll let our daughter danny do the outro as always and we'll see you next time bye
3: Bye. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises Worldwide. He is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders, and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue <laughs> my mommy and daddy. <laughs> Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at supermatescomic.blogspot.com or by visiting fireandwaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for Supermates and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag fw podcast please consider leaving a review on itunes thank you for listening to supermates the husband and wife geek cast
0: Ryan, Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen. The only version that matters. Yes. Not My Chemical Romance. I don't care if that guy is right writing Doom Patrol. It's David Bowie and Queen.
1: Yes. <laughs>